Well, if you have your Bibles, open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's open in prayer, Father. Thank you for your graciousness to us. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And it's you we look to. It's you we want to hear today. Lord, I pray that you would simply use me as a vessel and speak through me. Speak to me and speak through me. Speak through my brothers and sisters afterwards, Lord, as they turn and pray and encourage one another. Lord, we just want to hear you. We just want to see you. So with open hearts and open ears, we say speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've titled the message, and it kind of fits in. I didn't even think about it. But out of sight, but not out of mind. We usually say out of sight and out of mind, but, but that's not true of Paul. To be out of sight, but not out of mind, is, is really his heart. His heart was with those in Thessalonica. He, he loved the people. That's a mark of a Christian. The love first for God and the love for one another. And that's really how we're to check ourselves. Am I moving in love? Am I walking in love? Was that words that I spoke, were they loving? Were they kind? Were they caring? Were they tender? Because that's the message that we speak to the world. If we're living that kind of life before the world, then when we speak the gospel to them, the good news of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, they will be in tune, they will listen, even if they do not respond the way that you and I would like them to respond. But later, when you expect it the least, God will open their heart. See, that's our prayer. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to really do something? I mean, really desperately want to do something and you felt you would die if you didn't do that something that you had in your mind? And I'm not just talking about something ordinary, but something for God. Something that would make a difference in his kingdom. And you didn't get to do it. See, that's really where we begin with Paul. The Thessalonians, they were out of sight but not out of mind. He wanted to return and go back. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to nurture them and love them and care for them. But he was unable to. And I think the answer probably from you is, yes, you wanted to do something for the Lord. I think most believers that I've ever spoken to want to do something. Sometimes they say, I, I just don't know what to do. 
And the answer is real simple to anyone in that situation. Just love God. Love those around you. Reach out to that one in front of you, that one beside you. Just love them. Because God's the one that will guide you and lead you as you surrender your heart to Him. And this is what Paul wanted to do. He just wanted to love them. He wanted to nurture them. Well, let's read our text to, together. It's in Second Thessalonians, or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen through twenty. And Paul writing says, "But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face." For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown, our exaltation? Is it not even you at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at the coming? For you are our glory. You are our joy. I love those words. because See, Paul's their, their spiritual leader. And he says to those Thessalonians, he's writing to them, he says, you are, notice that again at the end of verse 20, for you are the glory and the joy. See, that was the fruit of his ministry as he came and poured out his heart, as he reached out in love to minister to those who became saints, those who had opened their hearts up. He was longing to see them brought before the king one day in all the Lord's glory in their hearts. The work finished. That he would hear those words, good and faithful servant. No crown meant anything more than seeing those saints, those spiritual children, standing before the Lord. See, even though Paul had only known the, those in Thessalonica for a, a short period of time, a few months, and we talked about it, anywhere from three weeks to, to three months, we believe somewhere in that period of time, he longed to be with them. In fact, this short time that he was separated, he struggled, struggled in his heart, struggled to endure that separation because he cared. And Paul felt that even more because these were spiritual children to him. See, it's in this paragraph, these few verses here, that we see that Paul has his desire to, to be with those in Thessalonica. His understanding, really, of the, the spiritual enemy. And finally, Paul's anticipation of that eternal reward. And there's a reward for each and every one of us. And again, I, I'm going to say right up front, the greatest reward is to be with the King. To be in His presence. To hear those words, good and faithful servant. And you know what I love about that? Because I don't feel so faithful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't judge me. Look at your own heart. But He is the one that makes us faithful. And those that seek Him will hear those words, good and faithful servant. We don't compare ourselves to one another. We, we just keep our focus upon 
him. And when you do, you'll be in the right place, the right time, right where he would have you. Well, look with me in verse 17. We see Paul's desire really to, to be with those in Thessalonica. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all more eager and great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once. Now look at that phrase in verse 17. The, the Greek word means really to be orphaned. A word used uh, that of parents or children who have been separated. His spiritual children. Uh, you know, he no longer has them. He's, he's orphaned. He's separated them. And you can imagine what it would be like if, if your own children, when they were young, or your grandchildren are just ripped out of your hands. How you would agonize inside. In that same way, Paul has that same love. And he talked about this earlier. We'll talk about it again in a moment. The love of a mother and the love of the father. Because he was their spiritual mother, the spiritual father. He had a desire to see them grow. He wanted to, to be there and watch them grow and serve the Lord and become everything that God would have them be. But he had been separated fact, look back in verse 7 of your text there. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 it says, But we prove to be gentle among you. A nursing mother tenderly cares for his own children. He's, he's using this imagery of a, a, a mother and a, a father. This is his relationship he has. And then in verse 11, Just as you know how we have been exhorting and encouraging and employing each of you as a father would his own children. This is the, the love that he had. And I believe that anyone who has ever had the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord has that desire to nurture them, to watch them grow, to fan that flame in their hearts. But just like children, physical children, sometimes the kids don't let you. Some kids are more rebellious. That was me. But the Lord desires. He puts His desire in your heart to nurture and fan that flame. Again, Paul describes these feelings, that, that affectionate father, that affectionate uh, uh, mother. He's torn away, ripped out of his hands. But he endeavored to want to see them doing everything that he could. Impossible, just as you would as a mother, as a father, to see your kids. There's a show I, I saw on Netflix. I, I haven't looked at it. It's a movie, and it's called Taken. A, a child, a, a daughter was taken away, and this man, probably brutal, probably looking at it, but he does anything, and he can everything he can do to get his daughter back. What would you do if your daughter or your son was taken away from you young, kidnapped, almost anything within your power? And I think that's Paul's heart. But he won't go against God's will. And this is important. We're going to watch. Again, Paul writes not as an apostle. Remember when he began this epistle, he didn't say, Hi, I apostle Paul. No, he didn't even use that term apostle because he spoke to them in this personal, intimate relationship. 
as a father, we, we don't say, I'm your father and tell your kids you've got to do that. But if you have that loving relationship, you speak to them. You encourage them. You exhort them. And this is the relationship that Paul has. And this is the relationship that God has with you. That we're motivated by love to do the right things. And our relationship to be with one another is one based upon love. That we would respond in love. We'd be motivated by love. You know, a mother is a, is a mother... <laughs> whether she's sleeping or awake when you stop and think about it, whether a child's at home or the child is away, whether the child is two or the child is 32, the same is true for a father. You know my, my baby girl? She's almost 32 years old. But she's still my baby girl. When she got married... She says, Dad, you don't have to send me flowers anymore. I have a man to send me flowers. You know, that kind of broke my heart at first because I'd like to send them. When she's real young, I started, and she was, I think, kindergarten. I, I sent her a little stuffed animal and some flowers on her birthday, and it says, to my little stinker. And she's been my stinker all this time. I don't love her any more than my son it's just my son is so far away and I don't get a chance to see him. But I do anything for my kids. Even if necessary, if it were even possible, Paul describes this when he's talking about Israel, to give up his own salvation for his brethren. What would you give up for your own children? For your own family? The Bible makes it very clear there's no greater love than one who would lay down his love for his brethren. And God has poured his love into your heart and my heart. And, and our part is to let that love flow through us and cultivate that love. And when that opportunity comes, is just love and lavish people with that love that God's poured in our heart. And that's exactly what Paul does. Now, something that I see about Paul, he's a model Christian in, in this sense. I'm not even talking about apostle, but he's a model in the sense that he invests his life in the life of others. I've talked about that. That's what true Christianity is. Remember, is giving our lives away first to the Lord and then to others. That's why that fellowship is so important to get to know one another. Get to know those older people and those younger people. And for me, there's less older people. But I'll tell you, when I get a chance, when I'm around older people, there are things that I'm still learning from them, about them, and even about myself. Those relationships are important. They're necessary. We need personally to examine our own hearts. We need to, to really kind of measure our own selves against this this profile of self-giving and vigorous self-discipline that, that we see in Paul's life. Where he's willing to deny himself and pick up his cross and follow Jesus daily. Let me show you in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. It should be on the screen. And we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. It's only fitting because your faith 
is greatly enlarged. The love of each one of you toward one another grows greater and greater. Let me ask you the question, is that true? Is your love growing greater and greater for the person next to you or the person just beyond you or in front of you? That should be part of our prayer life. Lord, just increase my love. Let me love as you love. Again, Paul wrote in Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. And I love that. And he writes, my beloved. And he's always encouraging. That's what love does. Love encourages one another. Encourages and exhorts one another in the Lord, in, in godliness, in holiness. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, notice, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In fact, it's done to every person who has been born again. Every believer experiences this love and will again either suppress that or we will allow that love to motivate us. And we will find that we are serving, serving one another. And as we serve one another, we're serving the Lord. Because Jesus loves you. I'm not talking about a phone message as sometimes we say that Jesus loves No, I'm saying that because you are the saints and Jesus loves you. And that's something that we need individually to stop and think about how much He loves us. Look at the cross. Look what He's endured for you and me. And it melts us away and prepares us then to allow that love to flow through us. Again, likewise, Paul loved the, those who were in Thessalonica. In verse 17, notice the words, but we, who are the we? It's Paul, and it's Silas, and it's Timothy. Now, again, Paul and Silas were Jews, but Timothy was, he was Hapa. He was Greek in that sense. And he was half Jew. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that because, again, the, the Jews were the ones persecuted. But not all the Jews, because the early church I mentioned last week was primarily Jews. But what I'm going to say is when there's a spiritual move of the Lord, the enemy will always be going against you, against what God is doing. And just hold this thought. The enemy is not your wife, your husband, your boss, your neighbor is the devil. But again, it's, it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. They all have this love. Again, that's the mark of a, a Christian that we talked about. But it goes on. And, but we, brethren, and they are the saints, in Today you are a saint or you ain't. Those are those that are in Christ. Now he says, but we brethren have been taken away from you. And again, as I mentioned, orphans. Ripped out of his hands. Ripped out of the place that he wanted to be. Even though it's not clear why he was forced out. Paul just simply makes it clear that he was taken away from them. 
Now that, that phrase uh, is sometimes is translated to, to be torn away. And again, as I mentioned, it's a parent losing a child. The loss of a loved one. And I, I say these things that we all understand what it is to lose something, to have something ripped out of our hands. Maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe a child, a dear friend. This is the heart that Paul This is what Paul was feeling. And this was motivated by the love of God. And this, again, separation was premature. Because Paul would share the gospel, and Paul would often stay for quite a while. And it's important to understand that his, his desire was to, to nurture them. In fact, he was, if he wasn't driven away, he would probably still be there. When he was in Ephesus, he ministered for, if you remember, three years in Corinth, 18 months. And he still would have been there nurturing and loving and encouraging, fanning that flame in them. And when they fell and when they blew it, he would pick them up and get them on that path. He wouldn't shake his finger at them. You, you, you. But he would encourage them. He put them back on that path. Paul felt like that parent whose children had been torn away. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 and 7 on the screen, notice what it says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us and longing just to see as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through See, this, this love was a mutual love. This relationship was a mutual. You know, to have a friend, you must be a friend. And lots of times people say, well, I, I just don't feel love. Well, you have to love people. You have to be willing to put yourself in a vulnerable situation and trust God and trust that individual in the Lord that, that God will use those things for good. But that love, when it's right, it's a comforting love. It's encouraging love. Men, I want to speak to you. The Scripture makes it very clear. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let me ask you the question. Does she feel safe? Does she feel secure in that love? I know in the Lord I feel safe and secure. And that's the same love that He wants you to have for your wives. Look again at 1 Thessalonians. It's in verse or chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. And as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself, Jesus, our Lord, direct you our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before God the Father and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to see them just grow and mature. He, he longed to be with them, to help them, to watch them, to encourage them. We'll look at the end of verse 13. He ends it at the, the coming of the Lord Jesus with all the saints. We're going to pick up that thought in a second too because this is a, a theme that runs through this book. 
That's an encouraging words when, when you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming for you. And he's coming as a group, the, the, the church. We, we understand that. But I believe he comes individually for each one of us to meet him. Whether it's one by one or a group, and I don't know how he does it. But that we would personally know that he's come for us. That he personally died for us on the cross. To be absent the body is to be present with him. And in his presence is fullness of joy. It's there that we'll see our loved ones. Our brothers, our sisters in Christ. It's there the best is yet to come. Paul longed to help and watch. Look with me at Colossians 4.13, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who in Laodicea and Heropolis. He's, he's talking about a man called Epaphras. And this man had that same love. And this, again, bringing out is, is really the mark of a, a Christian. Out of sight, but not out of mind. When you love someone, even though you don't see them, they're not in front of you. They're always in your heart. And Paul's heart is with them. Again, when Paul's enemies had taken him away from the Thessalonians, nevertheless, he could not remove his spirit. His spirit was there with him. You ever been alone, kind of separated, and yet, you know, there's someone who loves you and you know they're with you. The thoughts are with you. The prayers are with you. This is what Paul's talking about. Do we can know? And, and I've had people say, you know, I, I know you are praying for me. Praying for me right, right at this time. And, and God puts that on our heart and we pray and we respond in love and, and faith. And God uses those prayers. His thoughts were there. His prayers were there. Their spiritual needs burdened his heart. In fact, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me, a concern for all the churches who is weak without being weak, who is led into sin without my intense concern. Paul just labored in prayer for those as a mom, as a dad, I know many of you labor for your kids in prayer. You long to see them grow, to become all that God would have them be. Paul had this continual concern, and I believe this is what, when, when that, that have that mark of love, that love is in us, it's being cultivated. This is why Paul says, growing the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we too have that concern for one another. When we don't see a brother or a sister here, that we're praying for them, we're longing for them, we're concerned about them, we don't hear from them, we call them, we send them a text, an email, how are you doing? Now, I'm not saying you send 10 texts out in one day. You've got to let people be people. And you know how people may be, and you know they may respond, and you give them that peace and that space. But that concern goes on. There was an eagerness. Again, Paul had that eagerness, that anticipation. 
that great desire to see. And that was his longing and his heart. That's what he's describing here. And notice again the wording, see one's face. It really means to come into communication as God speaks face to face to Moses. We speak face to face. That's not something that's as much common as it used to be. You remember, we can sit across the table and text one another. You ever notice that? But we need to speak to one another. We need not only to speak, we need to listen to one another. That's something I'm really working on. And I think we all need to. To listen, what did they really say? What did they really mean? Because it's usually those miscommunications that separate us, divide us, cause all kinds of problems. Love. I don't know, maybe I mentioned it, probably did knowing me. Last year when I was in the, the West Bank, I stayed with an Arab Christian family very precious little girl just climbed all over me. She was about three years old and just loved on me. Grandmas and grandpas, you know that feeling? Moms, dads, you know that feeling? And I began to grieve for a moment. What do you mean? Because I don't remember when my granddaughter was that size, being able to hold her in that same way. And that same longing, how I wish I could experience that. Picture that your own self. That's the feeling that Paul had for the Thessalonians. That's the feelings that you and I should have for one another. Let me ask you another question. Is that kind of scary? To get so close to someone where... You're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation. They might know something about me. You know, one day everything will be revealed. Those things hidden will be out in the open. You might be surprised at those that you're sitting next to that you think are so wonderful. And oh, by the way, you are wonderful. I say that because I was at a service one time and and sitting kind of where you're at, there was a guy in front of me and we were doing a, a testimony service, kind of like what we'll do after Thanksgiving, our testimony service. And the man I, I saw every week, I greeted him, I hugged him, and, and then when he got up and gave his testimony and I heard all that he had done in his life and I about fell out of my chair and I, I hugged him. No. Our hearts are wickedly deceitful above all things who could know it. But in Christ Jesus, all things are new. I don't care what anyone's done in the past. I care about what God's doing in their life. I care about those that don't know Him and I want them to know them, to know the God that you and I know. Now, Paul was grieved that he couldn't be there, but, but you know, for the critics, they were glad to see Paul gone. And Paul's companion's gone. Paul wanted to come back, but they didn't want him to come back. Paul was looking for the first opportunity to come back. In fact, this 
this message, it, it'll continue with more verses next week. Paul's heart. But he was hindered. Look with me again in verse 18, and yet Satan hindered us. Paul knew his enemy. It's in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, you probably remember. Actually, it's only recorded in Luke, let me clarify that. When Jesus had been led in the wilderness by the Spirit, and after he was tempted again by Satan, Satan released him, let him go looking for a more opportune time. While Paul was looking for an opportune time to come back, Satan was seeing an opportune time to, to come and kill, steal, and destroy. Paul simply says in verse 18, yes, Satan hindered him. Do you know who the real enemy is? Sometimes when people are fighting, bickering between each other, they act like the person across them is the real enemy. They're not the enemy. We need to get the story right. The devil is the enemy. And Paul knew his enemy. And the enemy knew his name. I want to ask you another question. Does Satan know your name? I hope he does. And the reason I say that, because if you are living for the kingdom, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that God will add all things, the enemy will know you because you're standing boldly, standing firm for Christ Jesus. You are in opposition to the enemy because your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if he doesn't know your name, that means that, well... You're kind of here. You're kind of there. You're not making a difference in this world. So what kind of difference are you making? It could be the one person, maybe, that you might lead to the Lord. It may be an encouraging word to someone, someone who is on their deathbed, just to love them and to reach out to them. Paul, though, clearly blamed Satan for the failure to be able to return. But was it really Satan's responsibility or was it God's? See, some blame Satan and every time something happens, uh, the devil did it. Or a loved one dies. Why did God do this to me? Or was it other people? Paul knew, because of the discernment he had, this was the enemy. It was the devil. And he was given that, that, that spiritual help, that, that discernment. And, and sometimes we get that discernment kind of messed up because we, we get our emotions in the way. See, Paul knew what God's will was. It was clearly God's will that he would nurture and disciple and love these, these new believers, these babies, not to leave them on their own. He knew that was God's will. Whether it would be him or someone else, he knew. It was that discernment that he recognized the devil. But he also understood that God had allowed Satan 
Satan to oppose the, the kingdom of God in various ways. In fact, let me show you. Well, I don't think I can put this on the screen. Forgive me. So listen close. The Scripture mentions in many times that the devil tempted Christ. That the devil opposes the Gospel. He performs counterfeit miracles. It's so interesting because many seek after signs and wonders and miracles and and yet there's many counterfeit ones. He seeks to deceive believers. He perpetuates lies and murders and say it's okay to lie and many within the church know. He attacks individuals, he attacks churches, he attacks spiritual leaders. <laughs> and the list goes on and on and on. His agenda is always the same, though. John 10, 10 on the screen, reminds us the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Let me ask you the question. If Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly, are you living that abundant life? And if you're not, then you're allowing Satan to rob you of that joy, that abundant life that God has for you. That means that you can rejoice when things are going bad or they're good. That you are consistent no matter what is happening because nothing can rob the joy of any believer because you have that hope of heaven. You may grieve, you may mourn over the loss of a loved one. That is normal. That is natural. And we even see Jesus who wept at Lazarus. Even knowing He would raise them from the grave. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Notice what it says. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you'll serve. Whether it be the gods of your fathers and serve uh, serve which were beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living but notice what Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It begins with that very thought that I will live for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is my life. He is my heart. He is my reason to live. He is the one that fills my my heart with joy and peace and love. And no matter what is going on, no matter how sad we can be over circumstance, He will keep you until that day. But it means we lock our eyes upon Him and recognize this life is not about me, it's about Him. And I find my fullness of joy, my abundant life, when my life is hid in Him and I'm in His will. And Paul was in His will. And in this case, he was set apart. God uses these situations. The word hindered is a military term referring to digging a trench or breaking up a road. The enemy, we must know him. We must know the schemes of the enemy. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober in spirit, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. No, he's out there. 
But let's not give him credit for everything. And recognize that he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not all-powerful. In fact, he is limited on what God allows him to do and how much power he has and what he can do to you or how he can even hinder you. Job chapter 1, verse 12 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand upon him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. God limits that power. So if you're going through something in your life, the temptations and trials, or you feel like the, the devil's rattling your cage, remember, God is still on the throne. He's in control. He's allowing. There's something that He wants to do in this circumstance that you're going through today. Or maybe tomorrow. Or next year. Because the believers, the church... We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't let our circumstances control what we believe and what we think because we know that Jesus is still on the throne. C.H. Linsky wrote this. This by no means excludes the divine providence which rules in the midst of our enemies. Satan entered the heart of Judas so that he made plans to betray Jesus. And God permitted the betrayal for his own divine blessed end. So Satan succeeded in frustrating Paul and his two plans to return to Thessalonica, but only because this accorded with God's own plans regarding the work of Paul to do. Satan has brought many a martyr to death, but God has permitted it. The death of the martyrs was more blessed for them for the cause of the gospel than for the life would have been. It is ever so with Satan's successes. No thanks to Satan. His guilt is greater. It is due to Satan that the Thessalonians suffered just as the original churches in Judea had suffered, although God permitted the suffering. Sometimes you and I suffer. We go through things to understand a little bit of the suffering of Christ. I know that God has allowed me to experience moments in time so I can identify with someone in the fellowship what they're going through because I don't understand. Please don't say you understand what someone else is going through if you have not been through it. You can tell people about Jesus. You can give them encouraging words. But until you've experienced it, until you see through the eyes, you cannot minister the way that God wants you to minister. That's why God allows so often things in your life, in my life, that we can comfort others with the comfort we received in Him. This life is simply a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. God's still on the throne. God's using these circumstances to prepare you and me for tomorrow, for our family, for our friends, for those that will cross our paths. I'll look at Paul's anticipation of really Christ's return. And, and, and this is often taught a couple different ways, and I want to kind of merge them both together. And really when he's looking for this return, look with me in verse 19, for, for who is the hope and joy and crown and exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? 
For you are the glory and joy. Here Paul gives a a glimpse into his persistence. Here's the motivation. Because there were his hope, his joy, his crown. Paul had a purpose in his life. Paul was an apostle. He was sent by Jesus Christ. He was, again, a missionary to the Gentiles. This was the sign that he was fulfilling, being faithful to what God has called him. And it wasn't just being faithful that he actually saw lives radically changed. And he knew what God had done in his own life and he was longing to see that again and again and again. How did the worst, the person that was the farthest away from the Lord be brought into the kingdom and used in a great and mighty way for the kingdom of God? And he would see the fruit at the, at the coming of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that people were the, the treasure, the glory. The glory was formed in them. And he was willing to suffer for that. You know, one day, I will see you standing before the throne, perfect, flawless, with a smile like I've never seen before. Our children, our family, our friends, our neighbors, those who are in Christ Jesus. As a nurseryman for many years, one of the things that, you know, when we produced a crop, we'd have a a bench of plants, let's say, is that the crop was even. Just as I hold up this iPad that is, is level, that the, all the plants would be the same size, look the same. Oh, each one would individual be a little different shape, but basically, to the average eye, they looked all the same. They were finished. We'd sowed the seed. We'd watered that seed. And as those plants began to grow, we nurtured them grew them, brought them to maturity. And then to see that finished work, not just one bench, if you're growing poinsettias, a whole house of poinsettias, or you're growing pansies. There was a time that I have 20,000 flats sitting in the field, all pansies, all in perfect bloom. Such a joy. But in a physical sense, Paul had sowing that spiritual seed. He, he, he wanted to water it and he'd done that and he wanted to nurture and grow them along. And the reward was to see them now mature and complete in Christ. And again, everything that God would have them be. That was what he was longing for. And it was going to be at the presence of Christ Jesus. And that alone is encouragement in itself. Paul's vision of life centered on people not himself. And that should be the same vision for you and me. It it, it centers upon people. That we're looking for the opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ, to lead them into the kingdom, to encourage them, to build them up. Because he knew God's creation. Again, he, he knew the revelation, the creation from the prophets of Christ. It was all about redemption, about God redeeming man. That was God's plan right from the beginning. As I shared with a brother this morning, the outline of the Bible is simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man 
Chapter 3, man fell. God provided an animal skin. The first death, the blood was shed. A picture of Christ. The rest of the Bible is about God redeeming man. God's plan was to redeem you. To bring you to himself, to lavish you with his love. I want to call your attention to something else in this verse before we finish. And it says, at his coming. There's a confusion, and we're going, we're going to see in chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see the coming. There are different comings. There's a coming where Christ comes for the church. Chapter 4, what we call that rapture of the church, and I'll develop that in, in chapter 4. And we'll see the, the day of the Lord. And who will go through the day of the Lord? Very clear in Scripture. When you see those little keys... But here when he's talking about this coming, it, it, it's so special and it's meant to be an encouragement to you. Encouragement to me and, and certainly an encouragement to them because his idea was always to remind them that Jesus is coming. Doesn't matter whether it's a thousand, two thousand years, he's coming and one day you're going to go with him. Maybe you will go before that rapture comes, but you will go and you will stand before him one way or the other. Whether you believed in him or not believed in him. But this, this phrase, at his coming here, the word is paroso or parazo. It's pronounced different ways. I'm not sure what is correct. But six times he mentions it in the, the epistles here. Six times. Paul only uses this term one more time. It's in, in first again, Corinthians chapter 15, 23. In every case, he's talking about when the church is caught up to to be with the Lord and Paul's saying his joy and crown at, at that day will be when his beloved children who are converted and matured under his ministry will be presented to the Lord. And, and he talks about you know elsewhere that he wanted to present them. One day I will stand accountable before the Lord what I've spoken in this pulpit. What I've spoken to you individually how I've dealt with you. Whether it be at the rapture, which at that rapture will be caught up to be the Bema seat, which is that rewards or not. Paul's pointing to the time is going to come. Paul knows that time's coming. He's always looking right from the very beginning that imminent return, it could be at any time. It may not be today. But as I said before, for me, this would be the best time. When I'm teaching the Word in the Word, it might be for you when you're loving somebody, encouraging somebody, praying for somebody. Apostle Paul always lived, always taught. This is important to understand. Others to live in light of his coming. He, he weaves this through continually in passage after passage in Philippians. He, he uses that term, the day of Christ. Not the day of the Lord. That's a time of judgment. But the day of Christ is the rapture of the church. Look at Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then in Philippians 3, 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, I have to ask you a question. Are you waiting for the Lord? This would be a good day, wouldn't it? Before I pay the rent? No. Every day is a good day to go and be with the Lord, isn't it? Because in His presence is fullness of joy. There's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no sin. Paul's simply saying, look, you're my joy. This is my reward. To see every one of you in heaven is going to be a great reward to me. Everyone, those that have been here and those that have moved away that still keep in touch. When I was on the mainland, I, I saw Mike Cesoletti who used to lead worship years ago and I was able to see him. There may be next week, our first worship leader coming uh, through the islands and he called Ron where are you at he wants to come see to see that they're still walking in the Lord those that we've had an opportunity to nurture and grow and see them that's what Paul's saying just as your own kids as they go away to see them continue and then raising their own kids in the Lord and that's Paul's heart that's his anticipation it's the future it's, it's at the coming of the, the Lord Jesus Christ it's crucial for every believer to look for his coming. Philippians 2.16 says this, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ, I mention the rapture, I will have reason to glory because I did not run the race in vain. He's talking about the rapture. Paul understood that when the believers reach heaven, they don't receive literal crowns. What does that mean? Crown that fades it's the people. It's the work. It's the words. Good and faithful servant. Just as maybe you've done something for your mom, your dad when you're young and you blew it and, and yet when they look they smile down even though you made a mess. Yes. Revelation 22, 12 says this, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what? He has done. We have a reward. Some will have few. Some will have many. But it's a choice. Who will you serve this day? Again, First Peter 1.4 says this, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Your rewards are reserved. Your inheritance is unperishable, imperishable. I'm going to share just a few verses, run through them rapidly. They speak for themselves. Because this is Paul's heart. Beginning in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10 on the screen. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Notice again. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown, exaltation as we're reading? Is it not you? In the presence of the Lord Jesus at His coming, for you are our glory and joy. In chapter 3, 
Now may the God and Father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before God and the Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of the saints. Chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18 says this, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Wow. Comfort one another. We should find comfort in the fact that He is coming. And the best is yet to come. And finally, in... Chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one knows the hour or the time. Certainly, this would be a great time when we're all in church, we're all worshiping, we're all exalting, we're all absorbing. But really, what's important is, are you ready to meet him? Is your house in order? Have you called upon his name for salvation? Do you know him personally? Has he poured his love in your heart, that mark of a Christian? Do you hear him speak to you? Because he loves you, with an everlasting love, if you ever question that love, look at the cross, what He has done for you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it pierces as far as it needs to to pierce and yet it's comforting it's refreshing Lord we thank you that you are the living word and we thank you that your word is becoming flesh in us more and more each day as we open our hearts up more and more to you God I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you Lord that you would just convict them and you would draw them and they could know that there is no life apart from you. That that abundant life is only in you when a person calls upon your name, when they recognize their sinfulness and their need of a Savior. And you are that Savior. God, speak to their hearts. Draw them into your presence. Now Lord, maybe there's someone here today that Maybe it's not right with you or maybe has been backslidden or maybe he's not been fervent or passionate about their love for you. Lord, they want to return to you. Father, assure them that when they confess their sins, you're faithful and just to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. God, minister to them. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this time. I thank you for these precious people and the hope of heaven. We thank you for the hope that you're coming soon. In Jesus' name.
we pray. Amen.